0: Did you ever think you were made? I feel I'm so sick, it sweet, victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah. Why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet, David? Value
1: payment given values contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate. Is how running run, homie. Look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. Okay, so our guest today's a fan favorite. She's been on before. Uh, She talks about stuff that uh, people in power don't want her to talk about. You know, she's hidden in a place in the world that nobody can find. She doesn't live in the States here. She comes here every once in a while, does her thing, pisses the powerful people off, and then she leaves the country again. She's written a couple books, one called One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 1, and then there's One Nation Under Blackmail, Volume 2. Uh, A professional writer, researcher, and journalist since 2016. She's written for several websites and from 2017 to 2020 was a staff writer and senior investigative reporter for Mint Press News. She currently writes for The Last American Vagabond and hosts an independent podcast called Unlimited Hangout. Her works aim to highlight underreported issues and find common ground between people of different political persuasions regarding corruption, Government Overreach, the Lack of Accountability for Militaries and Intelligence Agencies, and the Military-Industrial industri- <clears throat> Complex, and she also talks a lot about Epstein and a bunch of other stories. It's great to have you on.
0: It's great to be back. How Thanks you been? Having me. I'm doing well. Good? Thanks. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. So, yeah. from the last time till today, we got, we got a lot of different things we want to cover with you. We got some ESG questions for you. We got some DEI stories. We got the whole Soros and Musk going back and forth. Uh, a little bit with uh, musk tweeting at him we got a woody allen story we got a bunch of different things but from your standpoint what's what's been new new stories you've seen recently on epstein that's been creating momentum since the last time we were together
0: well i guess the most recent one of course is going to be these revelations that have come from the wall street journal most recently Mm -hmm. um about his private calendar um emails, you know, a bunch of different things. Per the Wall Street Journal, they claim to have thousands of pages of documents. But um, I'm a little curious, you know, where maybe they got these documents from, why now, and if they plan on publicly releasing any of that, because, of course, you know, the reporting comes from the Wall Street Journal and they refer to these documents, but none of those have been released uh, to the public. And I'm personally a big fan of of public transparency, but we're kind of in a post-Wikileaks world, you know, so (laughs) tend not to get... Much of that source reporting anymore, but I would definitely like to see it. Uh, considering a lot of the names that have come out in connection with that, how you? That it's great
1: seeing Wall Street Journal doing this, though, right? Because they can't say it's a website or it's a blogger or it's somebody with this. When Wall Street well, Journal yeah. does it, you have to give it. Uh, you have to pay attention to it.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, a lot of the reporting, the way it is, is, you know, this is what's in the documents, and then we talk to the person referenced, and, of course, the person distances themselves from Epstein and says, oh, well, I only went to them because he was wealthy, or I didn't know anything about this or that, and it's hard to know if that's really true, to be honest, because some people have claimed that, and then evidence has come out showing it was a bit different, and then they're like, oh, well, and and nothing really happens, you know. You referenced... uh a post-Wikileaks world right now, obviously a reference to Julian Assange. Break sure. that down. What does that mean since that transpired, what, over a decade ago, I want to say? what Where do you see the the current state of affairs today? So I sort of, you know, uh, looking at, like, Assange and WikiLeaks, you know, what they were doing, obviously, before um, Assange was incarcerated, uh, was taking source documents that they received and putting them out for the public uh, to look at and view and draw their own conclusions. And, it you know, how investigative reporting has changed since then is i think pretty clear i mean you compare a lot of the how wikileaks handled you know uh, their access to source documents versus something like the twitter files for example i mean there's a pretty big shift between then and now and personally i prefer the the former model because more information more transparency i think that ultimately is a and serves the public interest more how does that affect reporters like you today whistleblowers Stuff like that. How do, what the mindset of you guys doing this intense investigative journalism, how's, how have things changed since well, the leaks? Well, you know, I intentionally, like what I do, I don't try and work with people that are in a position to like ha- face jail time for giving me information because given what like, I know and what's pretty obvious about the surveillance state today, I don't feel like I can guarantee anyone's security.
1: That's intense. But, let, let me ask, how many people have actually reached out to you who are insiders saying, hey, can we talk offline? Because I have some information that I want to share with you.
0: I mean a couple, but again, you know, I don't live in the U.S., so it's hard for me just online to know that they're for real. And I don't want to, again, put anyone in a position of danger. So I tend to go with things that are public record, open source. Um, But people that do want to work with those types of sources, everything that's happened with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and even – you know, with, um, with what happened with Snowden and then a lot of the people that, for example, leaked documents or shared documents with the Intercept, for example, three of those guys went to prison and that was after Snowden and Assange, so I think there's definitely been a, a, an intentional chilling effect on on that sharing of, of transparency, and I think, obviously, that's in great detriment. And,
1: um, Wendy, when, what about your personal, like, do you ever worry about them? I mean, because it's completely possible. <laughs> they could get to somebody in jail and say that he committed suicide. how we, like? Do, do you fear for your own safety at all?
0: Well, I mean, people ask me that a lot, but frankly, you know, the state of the world today, um, I feel like it's incumbent on all of us to stand up and say something, and again, I'm not trying to work with like classified information and stuff you know i think if i was it would be a different situation for sure um but i think also at the same time like if you live your life in fear that's going to impede you from doing stuff that's important um and you know i'm really grateful for the platform i have today um and you know i have a i guess an ability to put information together that helps you know people see some of these um you know, power structures that aren't necessarily visible to everyone. Um, and I feel like it's, you know, my duty and responsibility to do that because, frankly, you know, the more people – we really need to a- a raise awareness, I think, about about these, you know, power structures, these situations and, and how we got here because, you know, especially if you're a parent of of, of kids like I am, I mean – you know you just let things keep going this way it's not going to be good for anybody so you know
1: i like it i like what you're doing it's dangerous someone's got to do it i got a, i got a question to start off with here so uh, uh, okay. individual subpoenaed in the usvi's epstein linked case against jp morgan okay you got sergey brin mm-hmm. and larry page you got musk you got michael orvitz he's the former uh, uh, president of disney, disney. uh and the uh, co-founder of creative arts you got uh uh, Mortimer Zuckerman, you got uh, Thomas uh, Pritzker, you got Glenn Durbin, you got Leslie Wexner which we talked about last time you got mm-hmm. John Luke uh, Brunel and a few other... Uh,
0: isn't Brunel dead?
1: Well, it's in your French modeling scout who was a close yeah, associate huh.
0: He was arrested in Paris, I believe and uh, died in his jail cell weird! It's great that
1: it's you contagious. can subpoena a dead person, I mean, that's when AI is really <laughs> yeah. advanced, you can do that so, so this comes out, but the problem with this story is the fact that uh, Newsweek does a story a week ago saying Larry Page has been missing as Google founder faces Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit. The U.S. Virgin Islands is attempting to locate Google co-founder Larry Page to subpoena him as part of a lawsuit against JPMorgan Chase. But so far, four possible addresses have been found invalid. The government brought the civil uh, action against defendant JPMorgan Chase Bank. As part of its uh, ongoing effort to protect public safety and to hold accountable those who facilitated or participated in it directly or indirectly, the trafficking enterprise on Jeffrey Epstein. Anyways, it keeps going talking about this. So what is, if they're going after these guys, there's a story about Page missing. There's another story about Sergey Brin going through what he's going through. How much are are they really going to get to the bottom of this? And is this just a nothing burger?
0: You know, I don't know. Some of the other cases, I think, to an extent, were sort of like nothing burgers, and some of these stories about past cases being unredacted. You know, a lot of the, those redactions, it was actually kind of known what was there. This seems a little bit different because this is the first case I'm aware of where they're subpoenaing so many billionaires. Uh, you know, so that should be kind of an indication that they at least more than other cases, sort of seem to be interested in getting more to the bottom of the money aspect. And again, this is the J.P. Morgan case. Mm -hmm. And as I'm sure you all are aware, uh, the attorney general of the USVI, after filing this case, gets fired just a few days after. So, of course, there's a lot of speculation that her firing was related to her filing of this particular case. And, um, you know, when it comes to some of these tech billionaires, I think that's interesting, too, because, you know, in, in my work on Epstein, you know, there's a lot to be said about the Edge Foundation. Uh, Epstein was funding them very extensively, including being like their only financing source for several years. Uh, it was run by publisher John Brockman. who was a science publisher. And they had this annual, bil- uh, I think, billionaires dinner, they called it, which brought Epstein into contact with a lot of these big tech names. And a lot of, uh, you know, the biggest names in tech, including uh, Jeff Bezos, Musk, Zuckerberg, uh, Brin and Page, you know, have all come up in the Epstein case even before these subpoenas um, So you know, I think that's that's pretty interesting. And another thing too that I came across recently is that a lot of these big tech companies have data centers in New Albany, Ohio, and the land on which those data centers sit is owned by the New Albany company, which Epstein actually set up for Leslie Wexner and invested in and was a general partner in that company at the time that it was planned to court big tech uh, to that particular area. You know, it's
1: interesting you're saying this. We had Mike Tyson on yesterday and he said something. So, uh, uh, some of these, like, when you are when you start doing business, you get invited to parties, okay? Oh, sure. And when you go to these parties, you're like, hey, meet this guy. Hey, meet that guy. Hey, meet this guy. Hey, meet that guy. You're like, oh, okay, great. Hey, meet this guy, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, shit, you're that guy. Yeah, oh, damn, somebody just took a picture. Here we go. <laughs> this is what's going to start. So, Mike Tyson's at a event in Phoenix. And he says, this one guy comes. If he can pull up this picture, Rob. He says, this one guy comes. He starts shaking my hands. And... You know, he looks very fragile. It's like, man, I felt so sorry for this guy. And he shook my hands. His hands were really small, and he was timid. I said, listen, if anybody does anything to you, I got your back. Nobody (laughs) can say anything to you. And uh, he says, great. The next day, the feds come to him, and they're like, hey, we see this picture with you and him. How do you know this guy? He says, Uh, well, did somebody do something to this guy? Poor guy was, uh, you know, I saw him being bullied. I want to make sure he's being, he says, no, we want to make sure you're okay, because he is, he killed eight people and shot twenty nine people. What? Yeah. This wow. is Dale Hausner. Yep. So there's a picture with Dale. If you can pull up the picture with him and Mike Tyson. Jesus. I mean, Mike Tyson said I was at another fight, a Taliban was sitting next to me and a white supremacist was sitting next <laughs> to me. And they asked, why would you go to again with a white supremacist and a Taliban? He says, I didn't go to a game with those guys. They just bought tickets right next to me. Just so, I- so how much of this, this whole thing with these names being dropped? It's kind of like guilty by association, man. I was just... I didn't do anything with these guys. I just met them at a party.
0: Well, it's hard to know, uh, again, because a lot of people involved in this case have not been very forthcoming. And some of the names on this subpoena list, there's a lot to say about their ties to Epstein that has not really found its way into mainstream reporting. But again... Uh, With some of the cases, it could be just what they say, you know, I met them through this guy and that guy. Um, So, you know, again, without greater transparency, it's hard to know. But allegedly, the U.S. Virgin Islands has access to a a, a very significant amount of documents from J.P. Morgan. And their interest in subpoenaing a lot of these tech billionaires specifically is that Epstein was referring them to the bank. And again, Epstein's activities with J.P. Morgan, um, from what the USVI has said, um, it was very clear from J.P. Morgan documents that his uh, activity at the bank was not consistent with any client-based business. And that was supposedly what he had at the time, Epstein. And so th- the money flow was weird. His relationship with executives at J.P. Morgan was weird. So why was he referring people uh, to the bank? They- they're speculating that it's related to some whatever, you know, funny stuff Epstein was doing. He was trying to bring in other people. Would younger girls. Well, in the case of Jess Stalley, that's true. But again, you know, uh, and I think we talked about this last time, uh, as I see it, Jeffrey Epstein wasn't just a sexual blackmail mastermind. He was also very talented at the wor- in the world of shadow and offshore banking. So anyone that wanted to get involved in that, whether it's for things like tax evasion or all sorts of stuff, I mean, that doesn't necessarily involve sexual blackmail or interest in a sexual interest in minors, right? That's- but,
1: but here's the thing, though. This is the problem, though, with the, with the Epstein story, because... The only thing people think about when they see a picture with you and Epstein, if they see that online, the first reaction everybody gets, they don't think about tax evasion. They don't think about blackmail. They don't think. Oh, about, exactly. They, yeah. The only thing they think they about, think oh, this know. guy probably hooked <laughs> yeah. up with a 14 year old girl. So it, I understand what you're saying in that sense. OK, he got close to uh, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and hey, they have this thing where he's brokering deals and he's bringing money over to them. I, I can see that. I can see how myself, you know, I refer God knows how much business to my advisor that I'm working with at certain bank. And he does my stuff. So when I bank with someone or I use a technology or I use someone, I'm like, go to this guy. And they've probably made a lot of money through those referrals. Obviously, this is at a larger scale because he's bringing a billion dollars, half a billion dollars, mm-hmm. $300 million. And Jamie Dimon going to take those accounts. He's not going to say no to it. But no. the difference between receiving that referral and the other aspect of Epstein that's not only career ending, that's reputation, that's legacy. That could destroy yeah. your, in, in your reputation in every way. So if we can isolate the two, let's do that. So from your research, this is your world where you study this. You, you, you've created so much momentum right now with what you're talking about and the sources you're referring to. Let's go one by one by one. Larry Page and Sergey, Grin, Sergey Brin, mm-hmm. based on the research you've done, what what have you learned about those guys from Google?
0: Okay, so as far as Google as a company goes, from the very beginning of that company, they took um, national security, state money, specifically CIA money, and throughout their existence is a company like we know from the Edward Snowden documents uh, collaborated very openly with the NSA and other national security agencies uh, to the you know and sharing data in ways that they were not you know public about with their their customers and, and users and of course Google dominates search so they have a, a huge um, uh, role in the type of information people access when they look for something those first results what results are first. Yep. You know, Google has a lot of power, and to take it back to WikiLeaks for a second, um, if you remember back, um, I believe Julian Assange wrote a book called "When Google Met WikiLeaks," basically talking about how he his experience uh, with that uh, led him to believe that Google was essentially operating as an intelligence agency uh, in connection with the Hillary Clinton run State Department. So and, you know, uh, I think Jigsaw at the time, um, which was part of Alphabet, had these weird connections Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, things going on in the Arab Spring and other geopolitical developments where Google was alleged to have played an outside role. Um, So. It's important to keep in mind those aspects of Google. Um, but, you know, as far as the connection, specific connection to Epstein goes, uh, Larry Page, I'm not necessarily familiar with anything. But Got it. before the subpoena, uh, it was known that Sergey Brin was going to the townhouse with Epstein in the early 2000s.
1: He was. Uh, yeah. And okay. I think
0: at least one of those meetings, Mort Zuckerman, who's listed mm-hmm. on that subpoena list as well, was present that these were some regular visitors to to his townhouse in the early 2000s. Um, And it's possible as well that, you know, this Edge Foundation thing, and again, I'm not trying to say, Edge is a pretty big thing. Not everyone that was part of Edge was tied up with Epstein, but I think it's pretty clear from the finances alone that Epstein used that billionaire dinner and his big role as the main funder for a long time of Edge and being very close to Brockman to get access to these big tech people. You have to keep in mind, too, that after Epstein was busted for sex trafficking the first time, he tried to rebrand as a big time tech investor specifically. And his big company that he was trying to make out of the Virgin Islands, which I think he made in like 2012, was called Southern Trust. And he framed it as being a biomedical and financial Google. He it was It, it was described by the New York Times as a DNA data mining firm. So he's trying to get in all these these spaces that also Google and a lot of these other um, big tech companies are also trying to get to in relatively the same period of time. Cause 2012 is like 10 years ago. You know, a lot of people are talking about AI now and all of this stuff, but Epstein was trying to sort of corner this market uh, for the AI market for big pharma and for uh, major investment banks uh, back during that time. And actually in these wall street journal um Uh, Reports that have come out recently, it mentioned that the Edmund de Rothschild group, uh, Arian de Rothschild named in in those documents, had entered into an agreement with Southern Trust, I think around $7 million, that they had contracted this AI financial algorithm uh, company that Epstein was making in the USVI. Um, so, you know, uh, again, the financial services thing with Epstein is very underexplored by mainstream media. Totally. And what you referred to there about the yeah. public perception of, yeah. oh, you have your picture with Epstein, sure. you're a pedo. I would blame all of that on mainstream media because mainstream media is only interested in talking about Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking activities from 2000 to 2006, nothing before, and essentially nothing after. Do you think? I think it's uh, to pr- protect a lot of powerful people that engaged in financial criminality with him. And also, um, uh, also, uh, people like Bill Gates and Bill Clinton as well, because a lot of that, uh, you know, their ties, uh, for example, with Gates, that goes back to the 1990s. Mainstream media says it was 2011, and the reason I think they say that is to, uh, Gates didn't have any role in Microsoft at that time. If you look back before then, there's a lot of Gates and Maxwell family ties to Microsoft and other Microsoft executives, Linda Stone, Nathan Mervold, documented epstein ties with them back in the late 90s um and i think you know if you take you make the gates epstein story just about the gates foundation and not about epstein and microsoft uh, i think that's a you know
1: i, I want to stay on this because we're going to go to gates and and, and uh, uh clinton as well so elon musk elon musk being linked to a name like this the, the the thing that concerns me is the following here's what concerns me I have four kids. As a parent or a guy that's running an insurance company or any business, I always watch your trends to see if it's all of a sudden out of whack, someone's influencing you negatively, or you're about to go to a bad place in your life. So, for example, if you're generally a person that doesn't drink, doesn't smoke weed, doesn't do drugs, and you're pretty stable, all of a sudden you're doing stuff that you've never done for 20 years. I'm like, something's going on with this. Your decision-making is going this way. Or you used to be good with this guy. And this guy was an enemy, and this guy's a true bad enemy. All of a sudden, you start defending this guy out of nowhere yeah. in front of people. Like, hey, th- th- that is not you. You've never really defended this guy. What does he now have on you? So when I see, you know, the questions with Elon Musk is, hey, you know, he announces CEO, the new CEO that's coming, the ex-NBC mm-hmm, Universal mm-hmm. lady who comes in and, you know, world economic forum, yeah, everybody's yeah, losing yeah. their minds. I asked a question. I did a poll the other day on Twitter. Rob, if you pull it up, uh, I said, the good hire. Bad hire, let's wait and see. Good hire was 6%. Wow. Bad hire was like 20-something percent. Mm -hmm. Let's wait and see was like 60-something percent, right, on what people want to see. But when when that was made, the same day or the next day after he made the hire, you saw the the article comes out about Musk. You saw what Soros article comes out, and you see what Musk, out of nowhere, if you want to pull up what Musk tweets at Soros the next day, calling him, you know, Soros is... Uh, Magneto. Magneto. And <laughs> oh, it, I, I a, didn't see that. Oh, yet. you didn't see this. He says Soros no. is Magneto. I may have been
0: traveling when, yeah. when this you, happened. Yeah, so. I'm sure. So he
1: says, yeah, Soros is Magneto if you want to show this tweet. Remind. Soros reminds me of Magneto, <laughs> right. right? And this thing just takes off 42 million views on this tweet. Yeah. So everybody's responding. I can't believe you said this. He's trying to do this. The reality is Magneto was also a guy that dealt with the Holocaust. And the story is a survivor of it. And that's kind of what he's going through. So it's really a cause behind it. Anyways, so... My concern becomes when somebody that's been here's what I'm for. I'm for this. I'm for that. I'm for this. I'm for. We got to get off of advertisers. We got to be doing all subscription. All of a sudden, you bring in uh, an advertising agency, uh, a veteran in the marketplace to go and mm-hmm. get advertisers, mm-hmm. and you know she's a Black Rock, edifying Larry Fink, edifying fake news is not real. Yeah. Did something happen? Did they fight? Are they like that's the part that kind of throws me off sometimes?
0: Well, I think some of these there's you know, I see Elon Musk as a person who has like a very specific persona he wants to project to the public. And then there's business Musk. Right. And I don't think they're necessarily always the same person. So, you know, um, for example, Elon Musk, a lot of people maybe forget, you know, he's a big military contractor. And also, you know, the Space Force, that's also an intelligence agency, so he's technically a military and intelligence contractor. Uh, in order to keep your contracting business with those things, there's certain rules you have to play by, and certain things, I would assume, you can and can't say or you'll lose those lucrative lucrative contracts. And if you look at someone like Elon Musk and his, his business history, a lot of his companies would not have been successful uh, – uh, uh, sorry – would not have been successful without significant subsidies from the government. So, you know, uh, I feel like in order to get those deals, there's certain rules you have to abide by to an extent, Um, at least when it comes to your business decisions and certain things. Right. So maybe he wants to project, you know, this persona of like, I'm one of the bros. I'm one of the guys. You know, I believe in. Free speech and all of this. And certainly when he bought Twitter, that's what he said. But then it became, you know, oh, yeah, free speech, but not freedom of reach. And now it's sort of changing again with the appointment of this new uh, CEO. And again, you know, I don't really have any high hopes. And I didn't necessarily when uh, Musk bought Twitter, just because I, I tend to be kind of skeptical. And I guess you could probably say cynical um, about these types of um types of people. And, you know, I personally just from my own, um, you know, experience with Epstein research, I have found, uh, Musk not to be very upfront about some of those connections there. So for example, you know, he'll be like a lot of people like to bring up the, the picture of him and Ghislaine Maxwell from 2014. He'll say he was photobombed and all of this, but, um, he won't bring up the fact – well, at least reporters seem to have forgotten uh, – that Kimball Musk, his brother, who was uh, who's uh, on the board of Tesla and SpaceX, um, was introduced to a member of Epstein's entourage who had dated Epstein and lived at the apartments on 301 66, uh, 66th Street East where all these traffic girls lived. A girl from there starts dating Kimball Musk, and somehow Epstein is allegedly granted access to SpaceX facilities and tours – and then is allegedly advising Tesla, according to the New York Times- uh reporter James Stewart, who was told by someone else that Epstein was advising Tesla and then goes before Epstein's 2019 arrest and most of his public infamy, goes and asks him about if the rumors were true. And Epstein says yes. And this is during a time when uh, Ep- uh, Musk is saying he's trying to secure a capital to take a Tesla private, I believe. And this was allegedly involving um, one of the Saudi uh, wealth funds of the Saudi government. And at that time, Epstein was very a very, very close advisor to Mohammed bin Salman, who had recently come to power. And if you remember back to when the Epstein story really, the scandal sort of broke in 2019, it wasn't just talking about his townhouse having all these pictures of him and Clinton. It was, there were a lot, probably as much as Clinton, of Epstein with uh, MBS, Mohammed bin What's Salman. What's the relationship? Out of, that's pretty random for a Jewish businessman with maybe ties to the Mossad to be doing business with. Well, Saudi. Kingdom. But yes. Yes. But Mohammed bin Salman was brought to power in a way that was very uncharacteristic for Saudi Arabia. You know, there it's not father to son hierarchy. Right. It's like seniority within the royal family. Usually it's like elderly uncles Hmm. that become the next crown prince and whatnot. And he was very young in his 30s when he came to power and he hammered out things like the Abraham Accords with people like Jared Kushner. He was texting Jared Kushner all the time, who, of course, has a very close uh, relationship with uh, the Netanyahu family, for example. So again, sure. that seems rather uncharacteristic as well. And it's very possible that, you know, given the geopolitical plays um, in the Middle East and North Africa, a lot of that often has to do uh, with, you know, people that are either for or against Israel. You know what government's going to shifting the balance of power there, normalizing relationships with Israel, and so the Abraham Accords obviously were a huge step towards normalizing relation, the relationship with Israel in the region. And they may have seen, um, you know, oh, there's this uh, upstart prince that's really ambitious, and if we can get him in, then maybe we, he, you know, he'll help us push that normalization just a bit further. So, you know, there's a lot of Question marks there, but it seems to me that that may have been something to do with it. And I also think this might be the thread to pull on to find out the real reason Epstein was arrested in 2019. Because if you think about who MBS took out, Mohammed bin Nayef, that that guy was very, very close to John Brennan, who was the CIA director. And John Brennan was very unhappy with MBS's rise to power. And if you have Epstein close to MBS, John Brennan, who's also a big guy behind Russiagate and all of this stuff, and around MBS you have Kushner, right, you have have Epstein. It seems like there's two intelligence-linked factions uh, sort of duking it out. And if Epstein was on one side and the other side sort of wanted to send a message to that side, you know,
1: uh, it, uh, this the article I think you 're talking about Jeffrey Epson claimed he was helping Elon Musk find a new chairman for Tesla. This that's is part one, the of story, it yeah that's one of the mm-hmm. stories, but uh, again, to me there 's two different stories uh The one is I did business with this guy, and Kimball you, right now I think he's got a vertical vertical farming company now yeah he's doing a whole but different thing this is before this is before mm-hmm. that yeah, so two different things so one, for example i 'll give you a crazy story, so I first come to Florida, okay. I'm doing a project, and we're, it's called Mafia States of America. We're having it with uh, all these uh, ex-mob gangsters and people that are in that world. I go to this restaurant, Casa D'Angelo. First day I go there, the person I'm having dinner with is Michael Francis. Michael Francis was one of the top earners in the Capo. He was a Capo in the Colombo family. Mm-hmm. And he comes in, and this Casa D'Angelo place is ran by Italians. So they know who he is. Buonasera, You know, they're talking to him, and we grab a seat. The next day, next uh, I go there. I go there with Chaz Palminteri, the actor from uh, 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 Bronx, Bronx, Tale. Bronx Tale, and he's done a bunch of mob movies. And okay. he looks like so. He, he's got a incredible one man show. So he comes with me next time. So oh, buona sera. Okay, great. The third time I go eat at this Italian restaurant, yeah. I bring Sammy De Bulgervano. Okay, and they see Sammy, they lose their minds. Like holy shit, Sammy De Bulgervano, the former underboss of the Gambino family, is here. He's sitting. we're sitting in the same table. By the fourth time, they thought I was an Italian gangster, okay? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm from the Middle East. I am not, I'm just interviewing these guys because mm-hmm. I have a relationship and I'm interested in that world. So we're doing a documentary, a show on this. So the, the challenge becomes <clears throat> sometimes when you're seen, people love yeah. to jump to conclusion and say, well, this is what's going on. The part I want to isolate is the following with Musk. I think what Musk is doing, you know, 100% there's the argument of what he's taking from public, you know, government money, government funding, SpaceX, all this other stuff. Even Tesla, he has to answer to that. And that's part of, you know, capitalism where you're getting money, all this stuff. That's a different story. The part that I want to isolate is him being linked to what Epstein did with the curls. There is nothing there with Musk.
0: Uh, No, not that I've seen with the girls, but there are significant business ties, and what I just mentioned is part of that. Another part I cover in my book, it's related to these brothers that uh, worked for Epstein and his brother Mark Epstein at Osa Properties, which has been tied to the sex trafficking operation, those apartments I mentioned earlier, owned by Osa Properties. So one of these two brothers, Jonathan Barrett, that worked directly for Epstein and then worked for Mark Epstein at Osa Properties, works for this company uh, called Luminous. And Luminous is an affiliate or related to LS Power. LS Power is a major supplier to Epstein. And they a lot of these directors... Uh, For Luminous, for example, are the same people that were directors for the special investment vehicle that Epstein had with Bear Stearns called Liquid Funding and also um, investment vehicles and companies tied to Glencore, which is Mark Rich, who's a well-known affiliate of – well, pretty much openly referred to as a Mossad asset and stuff like that. He was a commodities trainer, a trader, a fugitive uh, from the U.S. for a long time because of um, helping Israel avoid the the oil embargo of Arab nations. Um, But, uh, for example, he was pardoned by Clinton really controversially. Allegedly, this was due to uh, a lot of pressure put on Clinton by Ehud Barak at the time um, and things like that. So anyway, um, you have sort of those shared connections and um, the Kimball Musk thing. And then uh, you have a woman named Nicole Yunkerman that I wrote a lot about in the book who has invested in recent years uh, very extensively in SpaceX. And Nicole Yunkerman (laughs) – Maybe I should backtrack a little bit before getting to Nicole. So basically, um, what I note in my book is that there's the sex sex trafficking operation of Epstein everyone knows about. But there seems to have been another parallel operation that he used for influence ops, I guess you could say, involving women. But they were of age. They were women that were well-educated in some cases and probably most of the cases, but at least a few cases we know about. Epstein financed their graduate education and helped connect them, Uh, they ended up marrying or dating powerful people sort of in his circle. So allegedly Trump is one of these guys, right? So his girlfriend before Melania, Selena Middlefart, Epstein was taking her Terrible with him. Name. Yeah, <laughs> horrible, I know. horrible name. Well, she's 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 Norwegian. That. She's Norwegian, <laughs> so maybe in Norway. It's like a P F A R T. No, 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 it's fart. It's good spelled fart. fart. It's middle fart. Yeah, middle she's fart. a she's a Norwegian heiress, <laughs> very treasure. attractive, despite the last name, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah. So that probably helped her out. For her. Yeah. her, yeah. Uh, but you know, <laughs> she and a couple of these other women that Epstein was taking to the Clinton White House in the '90s ended up m- marrying very powerful people. Um, and she dated Trump, and then allegedly Melania was introduced to Trump by Ghislaine and, and Jeffrey Epstein. Wow. They claimed You're, that. Who claims that? Um, I think it was either Ghislaine or, or Jeffrey Epstein at some point before their infamy. They're saying but that that's have, how Trump met Melania. There's there's Epstein. that allegation that they were introduced to each other, you know. But the modeling industry thing with Epstein and Ghislaine—remember this is before they were infamous, yeah, necessarily yeah. at least publicly—and uh, Trump likes models. I think we all mm-hmm. know that. That's right? not so. breaking
1: news. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I mean, it's not like it was, oh, look, meet Melania, who's underage at the time. Right. right. It wasn't like that. So again, you know, if you're trying to secure influence with powerful people and you don't think they're susceptible to your sex blackmail op involving minors, you can be the matchmaker that sets them on the path to marital bliss. Right. Because, you know, whoever sets you up with your husband or wife, you might keep contact with for a long time. Or if they come to ask for a favor, you might be willing to do so. Right. So there's a few other cases where this happened. And one of these women is Melanie Walker that we can talk about later because she's part of the Bill Gates-Epstein connection.
1: This Yunkerman Um, lady, I'm curious.
0: Yeah, so uh, Nicole Yunkerman appears to be another one of these women. So she's
1: not an Instagram model.
0: No, but she was a model. She's okay. a former model, and now she uh, is married to some Italian oil billionaire. Right, um, very very wealthy. He's mm-hmm. much older than her. I think yeah, by I like saw that. yeah, he's um, sixty
1: three or something like that. Sixty six.
0: And she's she's very attractive, right?
1: Ferdinando um, Bracetti Peretti.
0: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. and so. Um, Allegedly, you know, there was this meeting in, in September 2002 in the United Kingdom at a home that is owned by Wexner, and Nicole Junkerman was on Epstein's arm with an unknown brunette woman, woman, and was passed off to these two U.S. senators that were there, and the allegation, the 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 implication there, which this is right before the Iraq War vote. Right. The allegation is that there may have been some sort of like sexual blackmail occurring there. But why is Nicole Junkerman hanging out with Epstein and these senators at this at this place? It's a bit weird. And then um, there's some other business connections over the years. So, for example, Carbine 911, which is this um, sort of a. Uh, emergency 911 call center app or something like that um, that's being sold uh, all over the United States. Uh, It was created mainly by veterans of Unit 8200, which is an uh, Israel signal intelligence agency. Um, It was chaired and one of their main investors was Ehud Barak, who, of course, we know by now was very close to Epstein. And Barak urged Epstein uh, to invest, at least of what we know, at least a million dollars into that company. And apparently Leslie Wexner, also invested a lot of money. And at that same time, of course, Ehud Barak was getting a bunch of money from the Wexner Foundation. There was some weird stuff uh, going on there. But one of the directors at the time when Ehud Barak was on the board, and Pinchas Bucharest, who's former commander of Unit 8200, and some of these other guys on this network, Nicole Yunkerman's on the board of directors as well. And now she's invested in in SpaceX. So she's one of these sort of uh bond girls i guess you could say that was sort of around epstein in this category with melanie walker and now you know
1: you know you know what it is for me like you you can't control who invests into your company okay uh uh you can and you can't i mean let me rephrase that yeah
0: but to an extent so take elon musk and twitter for example what does elon musk want to do with twitter he wants to make it x the everything app Mm -hmm. and he specifically as a model for that refers to wechat Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't really like WeChat, at least in the U.S., because it has so much data about everything you do. And if data is the new oil, as is often being said, whoever owns the everything app is going to own most of the data. They're going to be the new oil barons, the data barons of this era, the new Rockefellers. There's no
1: question about right? it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So WeChat, the same parent company of WeChat, is a major investor in Tesla and their most active shareholders. So it's kind of weird a little a Chinese bit, company. Yeah. So I think it would be. You know, why does he want to replicate the same thing? WeChat is a big investor in who? No, the parent company of WeChat. I think it's Tencent, if I'm not mistaken. It's a big investor in what? In Tesla.
1: In Tesla. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And he wants to bring WeChat here, Right. You know, I personally, you know, if you're against the WEF, sort of like, you know, Musk postures about being against the WEF, and they're all about this type of, you know, digital ID, Well, World Economic Forum, but it's not just exclusive to them, right? There's a lot of other interested parties, including Bill Gates, for example, a big force behind ID2020 and all of that. A lot of this particular network's very interested in creating sort of this everything app because everything you do, finances, social media, all of it is in one centralized place, and you get all that data. Go super app. What
1: is this ID 2020? What is that? uh, Uh,
0: It's a public-private partnership that was overseen. It was created uh, under the aegis of the, uh, or the auspices of the United Nations. And I think it's the Rockefeller Foundation. um, And it's um, some other nonprofits that were created by the Gates Foundation, like Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance. Uh, But Bill Gates is a big proponent of of this whole digital ID paradigm, for sure. Yeah. Uh, But, I mean, the benefit of it, if you're one of these guys, you know, you get all the data. And you can sell it to security agencies. You can sell it to whoever. Right. Because if data is the new oil, that's the way to make money. So you get everyone's data on that app. That's one thing. But at the same time, keep in mind, too, Musk is a military and intelligence contractor. And historically, if you look at the ambitions of the national security agencies as it relates to mass surveillance, they have wanted a thing like that for a very long time. Have everyone's data in one place. We can know exactly what they're doing at all times. And then also there's this interest on on their part as well of using AI to predict what will happen, sort of this pre-crime paradigm in a sense.
1: Like a minority report where they know what's happening before it even happens.
0: Well, it's been being piloted or has been piloted in the past by companies like Palantir, Peter Thiel, who, you know, did PayPal with Musk, right? The predictive policing. And actually, William Barr under Trump uh, created a pre-crime program in the United States called Deep under the Department of Justice that has um, arrested some people for their social media posts and and stuff like that. Arrested uh, for their social media. Under posts? under the guise that they're preventing mass shootings before mm-hmm. they happen. Well, that was at the time. That was the big concern at the time, right? There's a, there's but a
1: part of that. There's a part of that that. It's uh, a
0: slippery slope. The, you know. It is,
1: but but predictive analytics take take data out. Like predictive analytics, if you want to go have a job that's going to be protected, for you for decades if you want to major in something that's going to be safe go major in predictive analytics everybody's hiring predictive analytics there's a form of predictive mm -hmm. analytics that's without data a teacher watches a kid in school and says that's the behavior you're showing This guy's capable of doing something. He's been caught with this. He's been caught with that. And they go and they talk to other teachers and say, let's keep an eye on little Joey. That's a form of predictive analytics to say that this guy's going to do something stupid or that kid's going to do something stupid. I I get what you're saying. I've seen Minority Report and, you know. It's a
0: slippery slope. Totally
1: get it's slippery slope. The problem
0: is when you give those rights away to the government, you're not going to get them back. There's no question about it. They keep going. You
1: you know what I saw today, which was great? I saw a video, uh, Rob, I'll send this to you, of a... uh, what's his name, that validates kind of your point of uh, who's this uh, fantastic uh, president of Canada that everybody, the, the, the? the sweetheart of a guy uh, who was Castro's, uh, I think, uh, cousin Hello. or something like that. But uh, I want to send this to you. So this, th- this kind of validates what you're saying. Rob, if you can just play this real quick. So here's a clip of what he said about, <clears throat> about guns uh, uh, 12 years ago or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he says the one thing about uh, Canada... And he's talking in a very nice, <laughs> gentle yeah, way. Yeah, he
0: does that, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he says,
1: you know, this <laughs> is Canada. We are gun-loving. They can never take our guns. You know, this. we're never gonna do this. And like, man, what a, what a sweetheart of a guy, <laughs> right? And then, t- you know, 12 years later, uh, effective today no. in Canada. We will, uh, you know, no what, <laughs> what happened to this guy. So you, you have to hear this, because it validates what you're saying. If you can play this clip. The the predictive, that predictive that is not that, letting you? It's not loading. It's not loading. Let me just play it from here. Well, to...
0: while you guys are waiting, the other thing I want to add about this predictive analytics stuff. Oh,
1: Go for it. No, go uh, ahead.
0: Is that the problem is a lot of these AI algorithms, they're not 100% accurate, right? So if you're making a decision of whether or not we imprison this person based on the AI, and you're working with something that, based, according to the company, is like 76% accurate, which is, you know... Not unheard of in this and that particular industry, and yeah. you know a lot of times these are what the business, the figures, the business puts out. They're not independently audited, so it could be fifty percent, which is like flipping a coin. Yeah. and you're deciding whether or not to take some, someone's liberties away. Oh my god! You know, based on that, it is that's another reason why I think it's particularly problematic. So,
1: so, so that's so that's one topic we just went through. The Elon Musk mm-hmm. and and it's more who's investing. Is he your question? Is is he more of a freedom guy or? You have to at times you know agree for certain things because hey, if you do this we 'll give money to this and we 'll fund this and we 'll okay I can see where somebody could be tempted to make a decision politically for other benefits that could come they're fine, but there 's no such thing with the younger girls with him
0: not, not that i 've seen no.
1: fantastic so let's say that's that's that 's why I want to kind of isolate these things let 's go to the next one The next one that 's a uh, uh, we can talk about is Clinton and Gates, if you want to kind of. Uh, get into that part I'll I'll, you know read one story to you and then you take it from there Bill Clinton's aide linked to Jeffrey Epstein killed himself with a shotgun despite (laughs) no gun I mean I gotta tell you I've spent a lot of time you know I've seen the uh, Copperfield you know what's his name uh, David Copperfield uh, David Copperfield and some magicians these guys they're great but the ability for the Clintons to do magic like this, I don't think they give him enough credit for how great they are in, in doing magic, right? <laughs> Mark Middleton, a Not- <laughs> former advisor to President Clinton, was found dead in May 2022 in Haifa Ranch in uh, Perryville, Arkansas. He was uh, discovered hanging from a tree with a gunshot wound in his chest, despite no evidence of the weapon that killed. him. Middleton had ties to convicted child trafficker Jeffrey Epstein, repeatedly signing him into the White House during his tenure as Clinton's special advisor. The investigation into Middleton's death by Perry County Sheriff's office raises more questions than uh, uh, answers. Middleton's body and car were found at Highferz Ranch, which is owned by a non-government organization allegedly connected to the Gates Foundation and Clinton Foundation. The release of the investigation report was delayed due to Middleton's family's concerns about the publication of harmful unsubstantiated uh, substanti- substantiated and hateful uh, articles on the Internet, the judge allowed the dis- uh, dissemination of certain details but prohibited the release of images. Middleton had a controversial history, including being implicated in exploiting his access to impress business clients while working at the White House in the 90s. So yeah. how do you do that? I mean, how do you kill yourself with a shotgun and hang yourself okay. at the same time?
0: <laughs> Mark Middleton, again, this is another reason why no, one I don't think mainstream media lets anyone talk about the Clinton-Epstein relationship before the year 2000 or until Clinton left office. Mark Middleton was a central figure in some very significant Clinton-era scandals. It was not just him abusing his access to the White House after he left. I'll give you an example. Congress was investigating Mark Middleton at the time 9-11 happened, and of course 9-11 happens, they move on to other stuff, obviously. But before then, the Bush Bush administration, George W. Bush's first time invoking executive privilege was to block the release of documents to Congress uh, about about three different things. One of those was Mark Middleton. Why is Bush stepping in to protect a Clinton aide? That should tell you that there's something bigger there with Mark Middleton. And then if you look at when Mark Middleton was called to testify as part of these investigations, he pleaded the fifth 28 times, including to the question, are you a foreign agent? Wow. So there's obviously a deeper story here. The question is, why wasn't Mark Middleton, uh, you know, suicided, whatever you want to call it, back then? You know, why did it happen so Mm -hmm. recently? Mm -hmm. I would argue it's because in 2019, when the Epstein case broke, It was alleged by the Daily Beast that Epstein had only had five meetings with Mark Middleton. And then you find out from Daily Mail gets White House visitor logs a couple of months, maybe like four months Mm -hmm. before Mark Mm -hmm. Middleton's found dead. It was uh, around 15. It was much higher. Something was going on. And then if, of course, you go and look at what was Mark Middleton involved in at the time he was meeting with Epstein and what was Epstein doing, it starts to get really weird. Um, Epstein, at the time he was meeting with Mark Middleton on behalf of Leslie Wexner, was involved in uh, uh, renegotiating the relocation of southern air transport from Miami, Florida to Columbus, Ohio, uh, where it would ostensibly be mainly running cargo for Wexner's company, The Limited. Have you ever heard of Southerner Transport? Southerner Transport used to be Air America. It was the CIA's mm, yeah, proprietary airline.
1: And Wexner bought it. He bought the bunch of the Well, plans. he didn't
0: buy it, but he basically... Pulling levers, got a very attractive ta- incentive package developed by the government of Ohio, taxpayers on the hook to relocate Southern Air Transport. Right. Promises of bringing all these jobs, which never materialize. Uh, and uh, basically, Southern Air Transport gets pumped and dumped and uh, goes bankrupt uh, a few years after this move by the end of the 90s. But anyway, it was being, uh, in, 19- in the 1980s, it was the main airline for Iran Contra arms and, and, and weapons dealing, and then gets involved with some weird stuff going on with uh, the, the first Gulf War. And with that history, that is the specific airline sought out by Epstein and Wexner. They could have gone for any other airline in the U.S. There's a lot. They first tried one called Aero Air, also tied to Iran-Contra, and also the BCCI scandal. Then they go to this uh, Polar Air Cargo, which is a joint partnership of three companies, one of which is Southern Air Transport. The other two guys kick out Southern Air Transport. The Limited dumps Polar Air Cargo and goes straight to Southern Air Transport. They seem to be very desperate for some uh, one of these shady airlines. And Southern Air Transport previously, like I said, was in Miami, Florida. And during Iran-Contra, of course, it was going to Latin America, Mena, Arkansas, or Clinton's governor. All this weird stuff's going on. Yeah. And it goes to Columbus. It starts going from Columbus to Hong Kong. That's the that's the circuit it's going. What is Mark Middleton doing during this period? Mark Middleton is a central figure in a largely forgotten Clinton era scandal called Chinagate that intimately involves a bunch of um, very weird business ties between Southeast Asian conglomerates, mainly the Lippo group, uh, which had gone into business with uh, the Chinese government by this time. And a bunch of very, very weird stuff happens. Um, I don't know how deep you guys want to go into that scandal because it's uh, very convoluted, very extreme. But basically, you know, I would say sort of Chinagate in a sense is a misnomer because what is really going on here is that this is the Riotti family and Jackson Stevens. So, I, I
1: do want you to talk on the Riotti family. Okay. If you can touch on that.
0: Yeah, sure. So the Riottis um, are... Uh, I guess ethnically Chinese, but they've been in Indonesia for a very long time. They're one of the main oligarchs in that country. Um, Their main business interest for a long time has been based around the Lippo Group, which has a bazillion uh, subsidiaries Uh, all over the world, mainly concentrated in Southeast Asia, but also, of course, a U.S. subsidiary as well, uh, which was run by this guy named Johnny Huang, who at the time of Chinagate, who was a major guy um, in the Chinagate scandal. And uh, sometime in the early 80s, the Riottis, uh, you know, got involved in Little Rock, Arkansas and uh, forged an early partnership with Jackson Stevens, who's one of these Arkansas uh, businessmen, political kingmakers. He was uh, he's largely seen as being responsible for Clinton's political career from a career from Arkansas onward. But he also, for example, financed the campaign of George Bush, Sr., sort of playing both sides. And a lot of his companies uh, that he ran, Stephen Zank, Beverly Enterprises, Systematics, have either been tied to major Clinton corruption scandals of the past or to Iran-Contra specifically in the in the case of Systematics. So uh, the Riotti family and Jackson Stevens had these intertwined um, business dealings and basically, uh, you know, become sort of this hub of political cronyism in Arkansas. And then, of course, Clinton gets into the presidential office and, it, you know, is much more... Uh, expansive than that at that point meaning beyond Arkansas obviously um So basically what was going on with Chinagate, I guess you could say, is that a bunch of money from foreign nationals, mainly Chinese nationals, a lot of them with ties to the Chinese government or the Chinese military, are being funneled by through a series of individuals who can donate to the DNC or the DNC is directly taking money from people that are foreign nationals who, of course, can't legally contribute to campaigns. And so, you know. That was the focus of the congressional investigation, that it was like illegal fundraising. But what was that money buying these people? It was almost all focused on the Commerce Department. The head of the Commerce Department at this time is Ron Brown, who, of course, uh, dies under very suspicious circumstances near the end of this when it starts to come out in the 90s, I think, 96 or so. Um, Dies in a plane crash, uh, but he has a bullet wound in his head. (laughs) Um, and all you the other, maybe somebody the was shooting
1: crash. in like yeah. a forest and yeah. that bullet went well, into the plane. Well, here's the thing.
0: Yeah. The part of the Commerce Department that was most targeted by Chinagate, the ITA, all the other people on the plane with him pretty much were ITA, except for Johnny Huang wasn't on the plane because he had been let go by that point. Uh, but right before Ron Brown gets on that plane to Croatia, uh, he, was going, he agreed to investigate or, or cooperate with uh, independent council probes into this stuff. And he is unexpectedly asked to go on a trade mission to Croatia, Um, and then the plane crashes, allegedly blamed on a 1930s-era navigation system at the airport in Croatia. But a few days after the crash, uh, the head of the navigation at that Croatian airport is found dead with a shotgun wound to the chest, and it's ruled a suicide. So there's some weird stuff going on with Chinagate, to say the very least. But again, I, I think it's really more of a mis- misnomer. There's a lot deeper corrupt- corruption here. And I talk about it pretty extensively in my book, going through the congressional, the Senate reports and all of that. And some of the main things that seemed to be going on there, it was about getting the Commerce Department and the Clinton administration to push for most favored nation trading status with China and to um, – There was a certain point where in exchange for that, Clinton had banned the import of Chinese weapons to the United States as sort of the caveat for giving China MFN status. And before then, the biggest market for Chinese weapons was the United States. So they're smuggling weapons into the U.S., and they get caught doing that on some Chinese state-owned barges coming to the West Coast. But then you have to wonder, what was going on with Southern Air Transport? (laughs) going from Hong Kong to Columbus. And if you think about, I think we talked about this last time, Epstein had these weird associations with arms deals in Iran-Contra, um, was mentored by an arms dealer named Douglas Lees, who had you know all sorts of connections to the, to the defense industry, both in Britain and the US. Uh, he's a British guy, though. And uh, that's the guy that connected him with Stephen Hoffenberg of Towers Financial and the Ponzi scheme that was ran there, and Epstein's name was dropped from the case. Hoffenberg took the, the hit, and instead of Epstein going to prison, he starts hanging out with Robert Rubin at the White House, who's a uh, former head of Goldman Sachs. There's a crazy, I don't know. I mean, there's so much we could get into with the whole, like, Clinton-Epstein thing in the 90s. Again, this is why I say they only talk about Clinton and Epstein after Clinton left office because they don't want you looking at all this crazy what, question stuff. Question for you. So
1: yeah. my, what frustrates me and, uh, like, almost infuri- infuriates me is when you're selling out America, okay? And, you know, when you make it to the top. Mm-hmm. The question for me to be would be the other way. Who which one of our presidents have we had that hasn't sold America to somebody else for their own personal benefit? I'm being <laughs> that, very serious. No, with you. I know.
0: Well, let who me talk Who hasn't to,
1: sold America? Let
0: me go back to ChinaGate for a second yeah. because there's a Biden connection. So, basically, um, one of the other guys that was targeting the Clinton Commerce Department was this guy named Bernard Schwartz, who was a major military contractor. Uh, Laurel was his company. He later sold a bunch of it off to Lockheed Martin because the head of Lockheed Martin at that time was his really good friend, Norm Augustine. And Norm Augustine goes on a few years later to make NQTEL for the CIA. Um, but Bernard Schwartz basically was trying to use – he was the biggest donor to Clinton – legal donor to the Clinton campaign in 96 where all this Chinagate stuff was happening. And he was specifically trying to get satellite export controls moved from the State Department to the Commerce Department so Ron Brown would handle it. And Ron Brown, he'd basically given a bunch of uh, – Ron Brown had been DNC chairman before this and had been involved in a lot of this funny funny stuff going on.
1: The guy who got shot in the head was a former DNC chair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then he was Commerce Secretary. Mm -hmm. So um, Bernard Schwartz was basically trying to do technology transfers to the Chinese military. I don't really know why, but he was very uh, I mean, if you look at the documentation of what Laurel was doing, who it was selling it to, and the broader Chinagate stuff. And again, this is coming from the congressional report. Like, I'm not even relying on mainstream media here. This is the U.S. government investigation. Bernard Schwartz has a lot to answer for. But again, because 9-11 happens, everyone forgets about this stuff, right? Because it's like, oh, that was the last administration. We have a, a lot of bigger stuff to deal with now, right? So Bernard Schwartz, it turns out, uh, was the, one of the top, if not the main donor to Biden's primary campaign in 2020. Um,
1: Bernard Schwartz was. Bernard Schwartz. And he was the, the the single largest contributor to the Democratic Party 92 through 96, in 1998, for his 71st birthday party, he celebrated his birthday, I think, at the White House with the Clintons.
0: Probably. That yeah. would sound about right. Yeah, yeah. very close. Uh huh. But this is a guy that was selling our like, most sensitive military satellite technology to the PLA. So, yeah. to,
1: again, to me, who, who hasn't sold America? And what happens to those guys? Okay. If you were to go back and you were to say, you know, these are the, these are the people at the top that didn't sell out. Have you investigated that? Because to me, that's just as important as who has sold out.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you come across, I I mean, frankly, you know, looking at someone like Ron Brown, he was corrupt, but he was going to, uh, you know, work with the investigators and he gets killed off. What kind of message does that send to other people at the ITA and the Commerce Department that we're going to testify to Congress? You want to end up like Ron Brown?
1: So... You're saying that behind closed doors, those types of talks are happening
0: where... I think it's very possible. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, to think it it, wouldn't, I don't know. Um, Again, it's hard to say because I don't know. I'm not there. I don't have access to those documents. But I think it's pretty clear. You look at something like the FBI, for example, more recently. There is apparently an FBI document that has been requested by Congress that shows Biden engaging in play-to-play play politics with a foreign national. The FBI won't release it. it. Isn't the FBI you – know, no one's above the law, all this stuff. Everyone's supposed to be on the same playing field. Oh, you know, if that type of corruption really was happening in the U.S., the FBI would investigate it for sure. Why don't they? well uh, I think you just kind of have to go back and look at the history of the FBI you know it's A lot of these people, like J. Edgar Hoover and and people like that, have sort of been given this mythical, legendary status. They're paragons of morality. You know, all this stuff. But if you look back at, like, Hoover, for example, an insane amount of mob associations, or mob-linked businessmen. Um, He was obsessed with blackmail, acquiring it on Friend and Foe. Um, He was uh, involved in power struggles with the early intelligence services about who was going to have more control over America. uh, According to a case that was won uh, by Martin Luther King Jr.'s family in the late 90s, uh, Hoover's FBI was responsible for killing Martin Luther King Jr.
1: Killing? Who the FBI, the FBI linked to killing Martin Luther King Jr.
0: Yeah, there, there was a civil trial that was brought by King's own family and they said, and, and the result of that was, yeah, it was the FBI. Winnie, well, yeah, I have a question for you. And that was the 60s. So if nothing happened to them then, what do you think's going on now? I, I, You know, my problem is that I feel like, you know, th- thinking about, like, my own family, for example, and how they, like, view my work or my grandparents, people like that. You know, this, the way they were told things worked is not the th- the way things were really working then. And a lot of the American public, in my opinion, has sort of been fed this fairy tale that the government is your friend. The government's mm. here to help. But essentially, if you look at the history, the government's the mob. Or they act like the mob.
1: They, boy, they've... <laughs> It's funny. Everything that they arrested the mobsters for, they've been doing. It's but it's consolidation.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah.